Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode number 44, entitled Tie-Ins Part 2, in which I'll be examining issue number 37. Today we'll be going through Power Pack 20, Secret Wars 2, 8, and 9, and... New Mutants 37. So, we are finally at the end of our coverage of Secret Wars 2 and the New Mutants relating to that. I'm excited for that. Uh, for as ridiculous a concept of C- as Secret Wars is, as frustrating and tiresome as it is for me to like personally review, uh, Chris Claremont has been masterful in in issue 36, I think, and really, really uh, shows us what he can do when he's with something like The Beyonder and here in issue 37. It is a fantastic conclusion to New Mutants role in The Secret Wars. Um... Two and and what he's going to take, and the story arcs that are going to develop from this, uh, are really really fantastic. So, it's just where Claremont's really flexing his writing muscle and just really showing us what he's capable uh, of doing, and it's really a treat to see. So I'm really excited to get into these four issues today, and uh, let's just let's dive right in um, when we get back. So, as I've been trying to do lately, is have Mutants in the News segment in my podcast. And so, today is no different. Um, it really wasn't going to be something I was going to con- include, but as I was sitting at work today, uh, Facebook started to explode with articles about Jonathan Hinkman returning to the X-Men line. He's going to write for X-Men again, but it's not only that. It's bigger news than that. Um, What he is telling us is that they are scrapping, they are canceling the entire line, and they're relaunching the series, the X-Men line, completely and totally. And what we're going to get are two uh, limited series, mini-series, whatever you want to call them. They're both six issues each, so there'll be 12 issues. Um, It's, like I said, across two different um, series. One is called The House of X, the other is Power of X. And from that, we're going to get the new line. And he's talking about, you know, what sounds like could be really, really pivotal revolutionary changes, really a very disrupting shift from the status, the current status quo. Um, He doesn't believe in incremental change is possible in fiction. Um, I'm not sure where I stand on that, uh, but he doesn't think it's possible, and so he's proposing a whole new, sh- a really big shakeup, and that's the big popular thing right now, right? We've seen that with DC, we've seen that with Marvel, where they cancel titles and then they relaunch, and it shifts uh, drastic shifts, right? Um, so I don't know. Uh, they'll lay out a premise; it makes it, I guess, easier for new art writers to keep. You know, if you can constantly change writers on a book, you know, every three, four issues, rather than having the next writer shift back to continuity, to, 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 to not continuity, to uh, the status quo, the old status quo, it'd be easier maybe to pick up 
from the new set status quo of the line, right? If you set it at the start of the story arcs, it would be easier to maintain it. What that looks like going forward, I don't know. Uh, I am excited. Um, one thing that a relaunch like this does do, I think, for readers, when you're dealing with continuity in terms of X-Men continuity, just the sheer volume, the weight of all the continuity that's out there, you know, it's hard to pick it up. It's hard to just step in and say, oh, I'm going to start reading here, you know. Um, but if you have a new starting point, Two new series to collect from. You collect these mini, these two limited series. If you read both of those, you get the whole picture. You'll get the whole understanding. And from that, we'll have the new status quo. The new line will release from that. So it would be easier to start reading and collecting again if you'd taken a break. Uh, so, you know, that's got some upsides to it. If you like Hickman... That's a huge plus. Um, it is, though, scary, too. It's big change, right? Um, but I, I'm not a big fan of stuff that's been going on necessarily lately, uh, especially with some of my favorite characters getting axed. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I, I'm going to reserve judgment. It is exciting. Uh, it's big news for sure. Uh, and 2020, I guess they're talking about major relaunches, even more titles. So they've got the next couple years in terms of X-Men lineup. It is planned. It's set. And they're just, they just got to launch it. Now, it's interesting that we're talking about this. At the same time, Fox has sold... The rights, well, they're moving, basically the ability to make movies to Disney. Disney now owns that. Disney also owns, for anybody that, for whatever reason, is unaware, owns the rights, to owns Marvel, right? So they, they make the Marvel movies. Now they have Fox. Fox had the rights to the mutants and the X-Men. Could this be, could this be the set, the stepping stone? Could this be the link to what we're going to see in the cinematic universe going forward. Are, are the X-Men going to make it big screen? Are they going to be rebooted on the big screen so they fit with what them, the Marvel Universe is doing on, in, 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 on film? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's an interesting time, though, for sure. So now you're relaunching titles. You're relaunching comics from a new whole new space. Re, you know, reset and you have the rights to possible movie franchises is it possible the two could link I don't know we'll just have to wait and see super exciting though I wanted to talk about it because it was really big news and the more I read about it the more excited I get so um, yeah let's just see what happens uh, if you've got opinions thoughts please let me know I'd love to hear what what you the fans what what my listeners what you all think uh, about this news but let's not postpone any longer we've got a lot of comics to cover today and let's let's get into those uh, and we'll start with power pack number 20 entitled turning point uh, and our creative team for this issue is Louise Simonson, and you'll remember her having 
she used to be the editor of the X-Men titles, right? So she was the editor and Chris Claremont worked really close to her with her and they worked together to create the new mutants. She was involved in that process. She is now shifted off. She's no longer the editor because uh, Anne Nassani took over editorial duties for the X-Men line. And, uh, this is what Simonson's been doing. She's writing Power Pack. She, if she isn't already um, at this time, she will soon be writing X Force or X Factor. Sorry, um, and will eventually take over the writing duties for the New Mutants uh, from Chris Cl- from Chris Claremont. The good thing about that is she and Chris Claremont work well together. They're friends. They're really close, uh, and they work superbly well together so it may you may or not you may or may not like the shift or her writing style but i i think it's i think she's fantastic she is fantastic because uh, she is a large part of what the x-men are if we say chris claremont's x-men are the x-men and they from that we birth so much of what is the continuity and history and the mythos of the X-Men, she had a large hand in that, right? She was the editor-in-chief. She helped shepherd that book to what it became. And she also did the same with New Mutants. Now, the my favorite part probably about this issue of Power Pack is the artist. Uh, and that's Bob McLeod. He is doing the art, the pencils, and the inks for this book. And, you know... You can tell it's McLeod. I mean, the art's fantastic. I really enjoy it. He's clean. I like the way he draws people. I think he does fantastic work. Um, yes, they're usually, fit, you know, it's not super realistic. I mean, it's realis- It's realism, but not, you know, it's realistic. It's just not like, it's. it's got more of this cartoonish, caricaturesque art style to it so things, features are exaggerated. We talked about that in, in his depiction of Sam Guthrie and that you know, I honestly like the way he draws the new mutants. I think of all of the artists that have ever worked with the new mutants, the way he draws those characters, I mean, no one's come close to it. No one has come close to it. And it's it's for the simple fact that they don't look, they look like kids. They look like teenagers. They look they look realistic in terms of like, they're not all model. They're not all perfectly to perfect proportions. They look like teenage kids and that's refreshing. And I think it's something that uh, is missing when he's not drawing them. Now, the other thing I want to point out here, uh, which we will get, actually, I'll wait, let's finish the, the, the creative team uh letters is joe rosen we've seen him do letters for new mutants before uh fill in for orzachewski um and colors is galinus oliver we are familiar with her she does lots of colors uh she's done most of the colors in fact for the new mutants so far so she's doing colors here in power pack as well uh the editor for this power packs is Carl, carl's potts and then we have jim shooter of course editor-in-chief now the point I was going to make, that I'm now making, is we've got Louise Simonson writing and Bob McLeod doing the art. And those two team together seem to bring this youth. Um, 
they, they bring this childlike, youthful exuberance to the New Mutants that Claremont doesn't necessarily play at. And I'll point I'll, when it comes up in this in in our in our review, I'll, I'll point it out. There are a couple points, but the reason I'm bringing this up now is because when Simonson takes over the run of New Mutants from Chris Claremont, there's this mandate that they the characters be aged down. They want them to be younger. They want Louise Simonson and her artist to portray the mutants, the New Mutants, as younger than Claremont and other artists had prior to her. So there's this shift in the way they talk, the way they interact, um, the things they're talking about. It all changes. And so their behavior changes. And it seems a little odd, but that's that's the mandate. And I and the reason I bring it up is because if it's this is the seeds of it, right? Is this the seeds of it? Was Power Pack, was her work on Power Pack the seed of it? Was the fact that Power Pack is going to, Power Packs uh, and New Mutants teamed up and, and Editorial liked it and thought it was interesting. And so when she came under the title, they knew what she was capable of. She'd done it with Power Pack and they'd seen kind of a taste of it and maybe fans reacted well to it. I, who knows? It's It's hard to really know. Uh, but it's interesting that we see them here, and they they seem younger than the way Claremont and Zinkevich were drawing them, or you know Claremont was writing them, and it it just makes me kind of ponder: is, is it Louise Simonson's fault that she had, you know, not fault? I shouldn't say fault, but was it this crossover, this this fact that she'd pulled them into Power Pack, that they were in this story? That is this what? editorial saw and they're like hey this is what we want for the new mutants when simonson takes over uh something kind of interesting something that i'll gonna try to do a little more research about so when the time comes hopefully i'll have that answer or if you've got the answer please let me know i'd love to hear so power pack in this issue demons are basically running muck in new york city as is want to happen and we're getting some more foreshadowing right we had foreshadowing in the issue 36 of what would happen if the demons came into new york um what would happen if the elder gods were able to tr- you know come into um you know to to if, if iliana failed if the elder gods were able to you know defeat her if she was defeated if if she was used as the portal for the elder gods to come in to this reality right so we've seen that already teased and we're getting a little bit more of that so we've got demons running amok in new york and they're trying to bring manhattan into limbo and we're seeing these demons kidnapping these children these are going to be uh they're going to use these children as the vessels to pull manhattan into limbo and we're going to get this same story arc to a certain degree playing for out in the Inferno Saga. So this is the foreshadowing. They are laying the groundwork. They've been laying it. It, it may not be the story that they have plotted yet, but these dangling plot threads, these things that they have kind of are playing with now are going to become... Instruments that will be picked up again, tools that they'll pick up again. They pick these plot threads up and they will weave them into a clear tapestry. And we're seeing this 
kind of the groundwork of Inferno being laid now. It's it's interesting. It's really kind of cool to see it. Um, anyways, like I said, these demons are running amok. They want to defeat. They want to, they want to rule Limbo, and they want the power, and they're going to bring Manhattan into. They want to defeat Dark Child. This is all going on. At the same time, Power Pack. They're trying to come to terms. They're, these are like kids. These are like children. So we're talking like eight to like five range, age range, maybe even younger. There might be a two, uh, a three-year-old on the team. I mean, they're young. They're a family. They're power children. I'm not going to get into a lot of detail. If you want to know more, uh, there is a great podcast um, dedicated to the Power Pack. Uh, and uh, I would highly encourage you checking that out if that's something you want to learn more about or you can find probably find these uh you can find power pack on marvel unlimited uh you can read that series it's not a real long series but it's it's an interesting series anyways let's not hesitate any longer so demons running amok the power kids they're they're down on their they're moping a little bit. They're they're rightfully so. Their mom is on her deathbed in the hospital and they don't know what's going on. They're trying to figure that out. They're also uh kind of moping because they've not used their abilities to save the world like they were supposed to. It's just a lot of like angst for these little kids. And as they're waiting outside the hospital trying to figure out what's going on with their mom, these demons come flying out of the window. And they're carrying these kids, so they intervene, right? They rescue these little babies and put up this fight. The demons run off. But what they do notice is there's this one power-packed child, Katie Power. She has this, I think she's called Energizer, and she has this ability just to absorb energy. And they, the demons figure that she would be the great, she'd be a perfect catalyst to help hold the portal open. She, they could use her powers to hold the portal open for as long as they need to to bring all of Manhattan into limbo. And so that's the plot. Well, demons running amok. Uh, Power Pack has had some contact with Kitty Pride, and they said they're going to reach out and they're going to ask for some help. They call Zach's mansion. They're looking for Kitty Pride. They don't get her. They get the new mutants. Danny answers. Tells them, nope, Kitty's not here. And they tell Kitty that they, they kind of tell Danny about Danny Moonstar Mirage, everything that's been going on here. And they tell her that they're at the hospital. And so Danny, along with Sam, Rain, they go, uh, Rain Sinclair, they go to help the power pack. Now, what we find out from Danny and the rest of that the rest of the team is out Christmas shopping. They waited till last minute, and it's like Christmas and Eve, and and they're shopping. So they left a note. Now this is begun, this is kind of a running theme for the New Mutants uh, that they leave these notes. Uh, it's going to be something that, for sure, Simonson continues when she takes over the run. Now at this point, Danny's going to take herself and Rain on Bright Wind to fly to the hospital where the power pack's waiting. And uh, Sam's going to race them. He's going to just blast, use his blasting powers. He says he needs some blasting practice, and he bets his allowance that he'll beat them to the hospital. He does not beat them. And Danny wants him to pay up. She wants his allowance. This part, this part about the allowance, right? This race, this silly childish stuff. What we've never really seen depicted 
from Chris Claremont. We're getting it from Simonson. And maybe it's because Power Pack was designed to be a certain age range book. Maybe that was targeting younger audience. And so these kids that come into the book should be targeting a younger audience. Whatever it is, they definitely don't feel like the teenagers, the young adults that Chris Claremont depicts them as. They feel maybe even a little below the age range that they're supposed to be. Either way, it's interesting that we see this here and we know when Simonson takes over the book that there's this shift in the way that these characters are written. So I don't know if it's Simonson, uh, this created that or what, but uh, that's kind of where we're at. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing to notice. Anyways, I should also mention, like I said, the di- demons really were interested in this Katie Power. Well, they nabbed her well. Her brother, her oldest brother, the t- kind of the team leader, was on the phone with the New Mutants. New Mutants get there. They're like, oh, we've lost our, si- our kid, sister. She's gone. The demons grabbed her. Uh, now they're trying to open this portal. Blah, blah, blah. Fill them in on everything that's going on. They also tell them that, hey, your, my mo- our mother's dying too. It's like horrible, right? So Danny, it's determined that Danny's going to stay at the hospital and try to ward off death. She is a Valkyrie. We know that. Uh, we've seen her powers beginning to become a little... Things are changing for her, and she's not sure. But what she can do is see the image of death above a person who's going to die. And we see this again here. And she decides she's going to stand her ground and fight death. She's going to stay with the mom and fight off death, try to save their mother. Well, Sam and Rain and the rest of the Power Kids go and try to save Katie and prevent the demons from taking Manhattan to limbo. So Danny does stay and she confronts death. And death argues that Danny's, you know, shouldn't be doing this, blah, 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 right? Danny tries to manifest an illusion. Doesn't really work. Death gets every all of her abilities, understands what's up. That fight is not going too terribly well until Danny's manifests uh, bow and arrow. Right? So she's pre- she creates a, a, a psionic weapon, essentially. And when she uses it against death, she can hurt death. But death's still winning this fight. And Katie, uh, as the fight with the goblins is going... On and Manhattan's being pulled through this portal into limbo, power's severed, and the hospital loses power. And the power kid's mother, her soul rises up and tries to go to death. And the only thing that stops her from freely going to, to giving up, to dying, is Danny Moonstar yelling at her that her kids still need her, that, that she still needed here. It kind of shakes the soul up, wakes her up, and she rejects death. And Danny still continues to fight death here. Uh, At the other end, the Power Kids and New Mutants clash with the demons. And uh, it's not going great. The demons, there's a lot of them. They're fighting and fighting and fighting. Things just aren't going great. There's every time they, you know, knock some demons out of the fight. You know, the demons get fewer and fewer, but as this Manhattan shifts and shifts and shifts, the demons get stronger and stronger as they come into limbo. And so it's not looking great. They're not sure how they're going to get Katie Power down and prevent her power use 
uh, her powers being used to hold open the gateway until Sam rockets into this cement pillar that she has been kind of strapped to. And once he knocks her down, the portal closes and Manhattan is put back in its place on Earth. Uh, The demons are all left in limbo. And Danny... uh, Ends up shooting deaths, throwing a spear or something, uh, a psionic spear. It hits death, hurting death, and death surrenders the fight. And what ends up happening is Katie Powers, or Katie Powers, okay, and the Power Kids and Dan and Sam and Rain all come back to the roof, uh, the hospital where Danny's waiting. Uh, they see that their mother's okay, and the mutant new mutants have kind of really helped these kids and that's it that's the end of that story um but what we're seeing here is Danny's powers her manifestation of these powers to be able to see death right and this this concept of you know beating death right and this is a kind of a running theme anyways for the new mutants where they're invincible they're young they go up against these really long odds. They're ill-prepared, but they do it anyways, and things just kind of work out. And this is just a running scenario these kids, uh, these teenagers are involved in. And here again, they they go up against impossible odds, and in terms especially of Danny fighting death and, and winning. And so maybe there's some arrogance here. It's interesting. Kind of an interesting thought, though. Uh, anyways, everybody kind of goes home. Uh, and kid, the the power kids go their way, and the new mutants uh, head back to the Xavier School uh, for gifted students. And that's that's the conclusion of that story. Nice, simple, pretty, pretty much straightforward one shot with the new mutants and power pack. It's it's an enjoyable issue. The art it's fantastic. I love it. Love seeing uh, McLeod draw the new mutant characters. So I was really happy with that. Uh, but let's let's not hesitate. Let's dive right into Secret Wars, Secret War Two, number eight. So, in issue eight of Secret Wars Two, uh, really, it's just brief uh, appearance by the New Mutants here, uh, and it's after the X Men have fought the Beyonder in San Francisco, and he leaves that fight. And Rachel Summer, Summers summons the New Mutants to fight him in New York. And they briefly encounter him for a couple panels. The fight doesn't go very well. And the Beyonders kind of just leaves. And that's pretty much it. That's that's all that happens in this issue. It's really quick, really brief. Um, it's not even worth covering except for that it's another run-in with the Beyonder. And uh, he's going to have a central role in issue 37. Uh, so let's let's get into issue 37 of the New Mutants. So issue 37 is entitled "If I Should Die," and let's let's get into this creative team because uh, even though it really hasn't changed too much, uh, we've got Chris Claremont uh, writing, obviously, Will Shire and uh, Zinkevich on the art. Orzachewski and Buhalis are doing the lettering. Coloring is by Glennis Oliver. Um, and then we've got uh, Anasetti uh, as the editor, and Jim uh, Shooter is editor-in-chief, obviously. So 
pretty stable, consistent uh, editorial and um, creative team here. So, yeah, let's just get into it. Now, uh, like I said, Beyonder's been fighting the X-Men in uh, San Francisco and has had his brief run-in with the New Mutants. Well, the New Mutants are fine. They're back at the mansion, and they're relaxing. They're down uh, watching, it looks like a Western. For sure it's a Western. It's a John Wayne Western, in fact. And everybody's just hamming it up. It's just ridiculous. Um, The entire team's there, minus Roberto, who's left the team, remember. He is trying to figure out where he belongs. He is shaken by uh, the presence of the Beyonder. He doesn't see the point in life, and he's trying to figure his way, find his way. And so the new mutants that are here, though, are Shane Coy Man, Sam Guthrie, um, Amara Aquila, uh, Warlock, Doug, uh, Doug Ramsey, Rain Sinclair, Ileana Rasputin, and, of course, Danny Moonstar. Now, everybody but Danny Moonstar are huddled around the TV. Amara's getting ready to make some popcorn. Sam Guthrie, he's saying, pow, kapow. And Ileana is act hamming it up. She looks like she's being shot. She's uh, t- saying, you got me, partner. And uh, Rain just wants to enjoy the film. And Doug points out, this This is his direct quote about the film. This turkey was made to be enjoyed, Rain, only laughed at. And so uh, everybody's just kind of joking and just having a great time. And we find out from Shane Quinn that when she was a child, she had a crush on John Wayne. And Sam says the Duke was always his hero, too. Um... And, you know, it's just, they're just having a blast. And they're carrying on. And Doug is, everybody's really being just ridiculous, right? Um, Just, you know, they're yelling at the TV screen. And Danny is on the phone with her family. She's called her parents. And I'm just going to read you this panel because I'm going to put it, I'm going to try to get it up in there as mentioned too because it's, God, this this issue is just fantastic. Uh, and we've got Ileana saying, there's the, there's the villain, old snake in the grass. And Doug chimes in, touch a hair on that lady's head, you creep, and you'll answer the U.S. Cavalry. And Rain interjects. She tells him to stop. And she points out that these are Indians just like Danny. And she she doesn't want them her teammates, her friends, making fun of the Indians on the screen and saying such horrible, cruel things because it's like they're saying it to Danny. Um, And nobody really answers that. And we get a thought bubble of Danny Moonstar who's looking back and has overheard everything, saying, add a girl, Rain, you tell him. And she tells him to keep you know, keep it down. She's on a long distance call with her parents and she misses her parents so much and she has so much to tell them. 
right? She's got this new horse, and she's telling him about this, but she doesn't know how to explain. Well, it's got wings, and I got it in Asgard, and now I'm a Valkyrie, and I see saying, I see images of death over people's heads. She just doesn't know how to tell her mom that. Um, and here's where we get into an interesting issue, and I think I've briefly touched on it, but let's talk about it. Uh, if for anyone that didn't know. And if you have, if you listen to the podcast, you probably know uh, Danny is a Cheyenne. Danny Moonstar is Cheyenne. She's a Native American, and she has been since the Asgard Wars, Asgardian Wars. She has pretty much been co-opted and turned into a Valkyrie, and now she's a Native American Valkyrie who has ties to Norse or Viking uh, Norsemen mythology. Right, so um, it's it's Scandinavian mythology that has basically co-opted a, a really strong, independent Native American woman, and to a certain degree, infiltrated her, made her cultural importance, her cultural significance, her ties to what would have been her native culture and tied it, basically overridden it with Scandinavian heritage. And that's, I have seen people not happy with that. Um, Danny Moonstar is one of my favorite characters. And I guess maybe I've looked blindly at that, not really paid attention to it. But when I think about it, when I think about when we see Danny so often she's on this bright wing and she is a Valkyrie and that's what she's presented as and that's what she's talking about and that's what she's doing and like she's going to spend a long time in Asgard as a Valkyrie and what room, what space does that allow for her native heritage to be explored? What room, what space does that allow her to be presented as a Native American youth with Native American ties? Right, If she's an entry point, if she is representative of a group of people by, by putting these, um, by tying her to North, North, Norris, 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 Norris mythology, gosh, tongue-tied, Norris mythology, do we not override those heritage? Her, her original heritage? Do we not subjugate her original heritage and almost, in a way, whitewash her? I think there's an argument to me that that, that, that did happen, that has happened. Um, certainly we see less. Other writers will relate back to that, her native, her Cheyenne heritage less and less as time goes on. And she gets pushed more and more into this fabled mythology. Yes, she's a fictional carriage character, but one of the things that was such a beautiful aspect of the New Mutants was its diversity, right? You have all these women, you have all these other cultures, different minorities represented on the page, acting as entry points and vehicles for people of those minority groups. Right? They're not all just white men. So, when you take somebody's heritage like Danny Moonstar, who represents such a small sliver of the, mar- 
who is representative of a group of people and is really the only representation in the entire Marvel Universe, it's problematic. So I, I get the problems people have with that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Like I said, she's still my favorite character. And this issue, my God, it's such a good Danny issue. It's such a good Danny issue. I love, love her in this issue. Okay, so, like I said, she's really struggling with all this Valkyrie stuff. And how do you tell your parents? She just doesn't know how to do it. Thankfully, this is all interrupted. She doesn't have to finish this awkward, worrisome conversation. Because when she looks back... She begins seeing things. She sees things above her roommates, her, her teammates. And she realizes there's the images of death. She sees a demon over Ileana's head, right? That's, that's her ties to limbo. Um, we see an angel over Shan Koi Man. She's a Catholic. We see Pluto over uh, Amara. And that's, you know, her ruler of the underworld. We see this... Um, what I can only guess is like the Scottish Presbyterian representation. Um, and I saw on, I, I was reading uh, reviews of this issue on line at League of Extra, League of uh, Extraordinary Gentlemen. They did a review and one of the fans commented that uh, this, this image has like a Heil Hitler hand elevated um, and I, it, I don't know. I don't know if that's what it's intent or if it's just hand is upraised. Um, but that's, it's, it's interesting that there is kind of that, right? But it's Rain's, uh, view of death. We see Doug's view of death. It's very much the Grim Reaper. We see Mangus above Warlock and we see this like country preacher, um, above Sam's, um, they each image of death is the image uh, that would represent that person's beliefs. It's, it's really a neat way of depicting it on the page here, and it's well done. But when Danny sees this, she doesn't know what to do, but she flees. She figures Hella's on her way. They're in big trouble, and everybody's worried because they see Danny just sprint out of the room. Um, and she sees in a mirror, her reflection, and she is wearing the Asgardian armor of a Valkyrie. And she doesn't know what to do, but she does see um, what she fears most, and that's Hela. She figures that the Norris goddess of death is on her way, and she runs, she flees. Um... She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how she's going to save her friends, but she figures they're all dead. And she runs. She runs out of the mansion, and she is scared. She's terrified. She is absolutely terrified. Um, she goes to the barn. She she jumps on Brightwind, and she tells him to go, to flee, to, to fly away. And she bursts through a cloud layer, and this is beautifully drawn. I love it. Um, and they look as though they're running on the tops of the clouds. It, it's just a stunningly beautiful, beautiful scene. And she's thinking about how this this has happened before. She saw the image of this of death above Wolverine, and she has fought Hela before, Helga before, and she doesn't know if she can do it again. She doesn't know what to do. And then as she's up 
in the clouds she sees an, a vision. It's of her and her grandfather. And he's he's, res, he's telling them about the early days, about how um, the Cheyenne and Indians alike kind of ruled the plains and the white men kind were, were, were sent uh, to teach teach Native Americans humility. That's that's the Cheyenne humility. That's why they're there. And uh, their ways weren't the the Cheyenne ways. Um, their warriors were there to slaughter, every, to kill everyone, or force someone to surrender. Uh, but a warrior of the human beings rode a different path. He proved his courage and superiority to his enemy by counting coup. And his her grandfather tells tells her what this is. You touch your foe, show how easily you could have killed, but chose not to, and thereby shame him. And he tells her that the whites had no shame. All they cared about was winning. And since they won, who knows what the better path was. And this is all interrupted when Sam bursts through the clouds. He's he's blasts up to Danny and he says, you know, he calls to her and he wants to know what's, you know, what's wrong, you know. And he, he, he thinks maybe it was the movie. He, he apologizes. He doesn't want to have hurt her. He didn't mean to be a jerk. And the only one who realized, obviously, was Rain. And, and he's so sorry. And he just wants to help any way he can. And she tells him his coming after was enough. That's all he needed to do. But she does not know how to tell him what she saw. That she saw death. Images of death above their heads. She doesn't know how to tell Sam that. And they do head back to the school. So elsewhere, we find Roberto. He's in Midtown Manhattan that same evening. And he's uh, in a car. He's got a chauffeur. And there's a traffic jam. Lots of honking. And Roberto's not sure what's going on. But uh, there was a construction accident. And so he gets out. He goes to investigate. And sure enough, there's this massive crane. It's tipped over. It's in a pit. And there's a woman trapped underneath it. And there's uh, police officers and emergency personnel trying to help her. They're trying to get it lifted off her so she can, they can get her out. Um, and he goes to the front of the line. He disrobes, and underneath he has his New Mutants uniform on, and he tells him, he tells them all that Sunspot is glad to lend a hand. And he transforms into a Sunspot form. And they, the crowd's shocked. They see this mutant, and not everyone's sure, but they decide, well, let, you know, that he's going to be any help. But he insists, and, and they decide to let him. What, what's, what's, gonna, what's it going to matter? But... They tell him that the situation's bad. The jacks are barely holding up this, this giant crane, and the pit's beginning to collapse. And so Roberto gets underneath, and he lifts with all his might. And in doing so, things are going pretty well. Then the pit walls begin to collapse, and the crane starts, he begins to lose the crane. And out of nowhere, it's lifted off of him and tossed aside. And he looks up, and it's She-Hulk. <laughs> 
She-Hulk has intervened and tossed this crane aside, and everyone, the crowd, the media, everyone goes to her, and they're asking for pictures, a comment, and she just, you know, take just basks in this glory. Just happened to be nearby, and I was glad to help. It's no big deal. And Roberto, he is, you know, saddened by this. He thinks, you know, she did deserve the glory. She saved the day. And he believes he tried his best, but he's just not sure it was enough. And he's pretty depressed. He thinks he's failed in this situation, just like he failed his beloved Juliana. And he's on his knees, and this kindly officer comes up to him and says, you know, he's got no reason to feel bad. He's, you know, the crane started to shift well before She-Hulk arrived, and it was those few seconds that he was holding that crane in place that made the difference, and it allowed for She-Hulk then to move the crane off of them all. So if he wouldn't have been there, it would have shifted and crushed them all. And he tells him that he's aces in his book, no matter what anyone else says about mutants. Stand tall, Sunspot, and look proud. You've done good. And Sunspot gets back in the car and decides he wants to go see his mom in Brazil. And so he's going to go to Brazil to visit his mother. Uh, He is lost. He does not know what to do. Back at the mansion, Danny and Sam fly to the ground. They return, and they, as they're coming down uh, to the to the mansion, they see this bright light in front of the mansion, and they're shocked. And it's an intruder, and the new mutants respond. They all appear in in the in front of the house. Uh, Warlock, Amara, Doug, Ileana, and Shane, and it's the Beyonder. And Danny also realizes that Sam and Danny are still above the ground, witnessing this all from afar. Uh, Rain's there as well. And he tells them that because they, re- because they, you know, rejected his offer to the path of glory, to transcendent of joy, a harmony with all creation... You know he's gonna he's gonna kill him. That's the end. It's it's over. He's done doing this. And Ileana steps out in front of all of her friends, and she tells him since she was the mass messenger, he should take her life, sparing her friends. Um, and he and he just doesn't even do anything. He doesn't wave an arm. He doesn't approach her. He just disintegrates her just like turns her to dust and the team screams in horror and they all lash out at him Amar blasts him cannonball flies at him you know he they give him everything they've got and just assaulting him with everything um he kills a couple of them, but, you know, they keep up the pressure, and it looks like they've won, right? And, yeah, Shane's dead at this point, and Ileana, but it looks like the remaining New Mutants have, have struck him down, and they're collecting themselves, but Danny's not so sure that they've, you know, 
defeated him. You know, as, as they're talking about having killed him, but they don't feel glad. They don't feel like they want to cheer. They just want to cry for their home, for their, for their friends. And, you know, they're all soaking this in. And Danny says, save your tears. It isn't over. And they look at her, and sure enough, it's not. Because beyond her standing, and he tells them, I've taken your measure, new mutants, endured everything you could throw at me. Now, to use your own idiom, it's my turn. And he erupt, and he rises up off the ground. This white suit that he was once wearing is now charred black, and his eyes glow yellow. I mean, he swallows up Amara in the pit. Sam goes after her. They're stuck under the earth. Um, he strikes down Warlock, and then f- just evaporates the skin off a duck, just burns him. He's just a flesh it just his flesh just dis- disappears burns off his his bones it just leaves a skeleton and rain she cowers in fear praying asking for mercy and he just burns her with just a point by pointing his hand at her essentially and Danny mounts brightwind and they talk and he asks her you don't flee there's no point. And she says, you ne- we never had a prayer. You could have finished us any time. Was it fun to taunt us with false hope? Something new for you to learn about being human? And she, you know, realizes she's wasting her breath. That, you know, there's nothing that he doesn't care. And that she wants to live... You know, just as her ancestors did. And he says, there's purpose to everything I do. I truly regret you do not, cannot comprehend that. And tears streaming down her eyes. She rides at him. You know, and he, he just wants to cleanse the earth so he can rest in peace. And she says that they've never done any harm to him. But he, he argues, no, you've done so much to him. Now that he knows his existence, this is his argument, that now that he knows what his existence, that he exists, he now has desire and desire. He can't have what he wants. And that's created pain for the Beyonder. And so now everyone must perish. And only once they've all perished, then will he be able to return to, I don't know. Um, He's tiresome, but this is beautiful, right? Because Danny knows the odds. She's not going to walk out of this alive. And she doesn't shrug her fate. She does not flee. She's terrified. She's she's scared. She wants to live. She wants to go on living but she charges at him and rides up and touches the Beyonder and and has Bright Star ride, fly away. And this is what she says as she's reaching out, touching him. Hear me, grandfather. The path of honor is best. Farewell, mother and father. I ride to join Black Eagle. I am Cheyenne, Cheyenne 
and today is a good day to die. And she basically fades into nothing. She just is like ash blowing away off of Bright Star in the wind. And we are left with just the Beyonder standing in the night. An empty field. He wipes away everything. All the memories of the New Mutants from all the X-Men, from everyone that ever knew them, he wipes them away as though they never existed. He wipes away the Xavier School as though it never existed. And that's the end. That's the end. He's He's destroyed the New Mutants. He's destroyed the school. Um, Her parents, no one remembers them. Roberto doesn't remember them. The X-Men doesn't remember them. There's nothing left. It's just this empty virgin forest on the lines of Breakstone Lake. That's it. And that's the conclusion of this issue. Um, so the next issue we'll cover tonight is Secret Wars 2, number 9. So let's dive into that. So issue 9 of Secret Wars 2, um, really it's, the uh, obviously it's the last I- issue in this limited series. And we have the Beyonder. He comes back to Earth. He is, puts he basically encases himself in the earth in this underground compound and he's thinking as he has done so often than not and he's trying to figure out what's missing why he just doesn't fit and why things aren't working out for him he decides that there's one thing left that he hasn't done and that is make himself mortal he hasn't been mortal yet he doesn't know what that feels like and so he decides he's going to do that he creates this massive machine to do this thing but he doesn't want to test it on himself he's got to make sure it works um, because if he's going to give up his uh, omnipotence, then he's got, you know, he needs to be able to survive. And so he decides he's going to use the new mutants to help him in this. And remember, he's obliterated them. He's destroyed them. He's erased them from everyone's consciousness. They don't exist anymore. So he takes what is left the energy and the memory, the little bits of memory, the little particles, he draws them in and he puts them through this machine and out pops all the new mutants he killed. There's Sam, Danny Moonstar, we have Rain Sinclair, Warlock, Shankoy Man, Amara. Uh, They all, Doug Ramsey, they all pop out of this machine and he has them. He just pushes them to the side. There's, they're there, um, in presence, right? Their body, in their husk, their their bodies are there, but their memories are not. Their experiences aren't. Their powers aren't. And he goes through this machine. He does this stuff. He becomes mortal uh, a couple times, um, experiencing what it's like, and then going back in and getting his omnipotence back. Um, and so that's kind of what... the this issue's about. Uh, the heroes show up to, to do battle with him, and um, basically what the Beyonder does is he s- brings the mutants' powers back up to full strength, and he sends them up to fight the heroes, and they do that. The heroes 
get the upper hand and Rachel reads their minds and from that he get she understands because none of them knew who these new mutants were. They don't have memories of that. From that from reading their minds though, she's able to figure out, oh, these are the students, these are the new mutants. Um there's something wrong. Their memories aren't there. They're not intact. There's something missing. But we've got to defeat the Beyonder before we def- deal with the new mutants. And so the heroes all go down to this pit to fight the Beyonder, and uh, they do defeat him. Um, I'm not going to get into how they do that. I don't, you know, it's not important to the podcast. He's defeated. Uh, the important part is. These empty shells that are the new mutants, that's the next, that's the problem that Magneto's left with. That's the problem that that Magneto's got to figure out how to deal with. And he will do that in issue 38, Aftermath. And that's what we'll cover next week. So next week we are back to a single issue, which is great. We are out of the Secret Wars, but we are taking a very interesting plot element that it's developed from a crossover that uh, a miniseries, a limited series with multiple tie-ins uh, and turning it into something that's worth, worth having, have, you know, worth dealing with, worth exploring and examining. And Claremont does a great job with it. And uh, I'm excited to get into this. So uh, next week, that's what we'll be doing, covering 38, uh, issue 38, Aftermath. So let's talk, though, before we wrap uh, uh, wrap up this episode, a little bit about uh, issue 37 and why I like that so much. I love the callbacks to Danny's uh, Cheyenne heritage. I love this concept of the utter defeat and the lack, the absolute hopelessness of doing battle with the Beyonder. He's here. All he has to do is sink, and they are gone. The mutants are destroyed. And if you didn't get a sense of that from the battle that takes place in this in the pages, how hopeless this all was, and how pointless it all was, uh, you'd certainly get that from the cover. The cover was by Zinkevich and Leonardi, and the Beyonder is just uh, strangling the life as he sit. He's sitting on what looks like um, a boulder. Well, we have uh, Warlock, and encased in Warlock is Doug. He's hammering away at him. Amara's blasting flame at his back. We've got Sam ricocheting off of him, and in the background, uh, Danny Moonstar on Brightwind watches over. Uh, Rain is being strangled. Her arms are wrapped around his wrist, and below uh, the feet of the Beyonder, uh, is Ileana and Shane Coyman both laying? Uh, Shane may be dead, and Ileana looks as though she's struggling uh, to stand. Um, and the Beyonder is just staring at off into nothingness, and it, it appears to be thinking. I mean, he is just—it is just the ease of this and how hopeless this fight truly is. And in the face of the death of all of. Danny's friends, instead of fleeing, even though she's afraid, she, she's gonna, tr- she's gonna do the honorable thing, or what she thinks is the honorable thing. She's gonna honor her, her heritage, uh, even though she knows she's probably gonna die. She's gonna do what she can, and in this moment, what she can do is touch the beyonder, and 
and in doing so really make a statement that she's not afraid and it doesn't really do anything to the beyonder he is is omnipotent as he is is this all-knowing force like unable to even understand the simplest concept of desire to live to fight against impossible odds and that's the thing he can't cope with desire and here we have adolescent teenagers who are showing him what lengths they're willing to go to for each other and for their their own lives and in the next issue of the secret wars we see the beyonder trying to come to terms with morality or mortality and what it means to be alive so I don't know it's interesting I just I, I just really love this issue I love the connection that Rain uh, has with Danny and how aware she is of Danny's feelings while they're watching the the John Wayne movie I love that Sam the this this wonderfully gen, just gentle nice young man cares about his friend enough to go and check to see and to let her know in in the 80s that hey I'm sorry for being an asshole and like mocking your heritage there are people today that don't understand why you wouldn't want to tease somebody or make fun of someone else that that think being that would argue that that's being politically correct if being nice to somebody that's your friend is politically correct, well, then I guess I'm politically correct. <laughs> I mean, I don't actively look to hurt people's feelings. Uh, that's that's why I choose to be try to be aware of that stuff so that I don't. Because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want my feelings hurt. I don't want to be made fun of. I want to be treated with respect and dignity. And so my effort is to treat others the way I want to be treated. Anyways, let's not preach. Uh just really really like this issue and I really like that even with all of this Norris mythology these this idea that she's this Valkyrie she is tied so strongly in this issue back to her heritage her Cheyenne heritage and this idea that in the face of impossible odds she's going to rely on that she's going to rely on that and not get tied into this Norris um, as guardian Valkyrie st- st- stuff that she is um, beginning to find herself intertwined with. Um, it's, it's just beautiful, and I, 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 I love it. The stakes aren't that high because we know they're coming back, but it does have long-reaching consequences, and we will, like I said, see that in the next issue. So, um, yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed this issue. I really, really like like this issue a lot. Of course, it's a Danny Moonstar heavy issue, and we get some really interesting character work with with Danny here, and uh, I, I appreciate that. I really like her character, and uh, I definitely like seeing her center stage in this in this issue. So. That's the end of the New Mutants Secret War tie-ins. It is not the end of its aftermath, however, and we will see that play out uh, moving forward. So 
Uh, until next week, keep reading those comics. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast at Twitter at Explore the New Mutant via email at Explore the New Mutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Another great way to reach the podcast is via Anchor Messenger service. It allows you, the listeners, to record minute-long messages that you can then send directly to me. I can then take those messages and play them directly in the episode. So it's a really cool way for you listeners to become engaged, and I highly recommend it. I'd love to hear from you. Um, So, yeah, uh, until next week, um, yeah, have a good week.